Well, my pleasure. This is George G. And the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Rachel Schneider. Rachel, are you ready to do this? I certainly am. All right, let's go. Rachel is the founder and CEO of Canary. They're a company facilitating employee assistance grants through financial health packages. Rachel, I'm excited to have you on. Tell us a little about your personal life, some more about your work and why you do what you do. I'm happy to. So yeah, so I live in New York City with my husband and two kids. That's the personal life teenagers. Super fun. Um, and I've spent the majority of my professional life thinking about the financial well-being of American workers. Um, so I wrote a book called The Financial Diaries, which was a partnership between me and a professor at NYU. And we worked with about 235 families across the U.S. And um, they were they were in every version of American life you can picture, right? Some folks in cities, some folks in rural areas, some people in suburbs, um, immigrants, people who've lived here for generations. Um, and the goal of the research was to work with them for a full year and understand their financial lives for a full year. So we you know, sat in people's living rooms and kitchens and met at local McDonald's and just talked about what is happening in your financial life over the last few weeks and did that over and over throughout the year and tried to track every dollar that went in and out of the house. Um, and so it was really an extraordinary deep dive into like, what does a financial life look like? And the folks we were working with were mostly um, from the, the, the median income in their neighborhood to um, down to the poverty line. So nobody who was below poverty and living on government assistance, everybody was, was essentially a working population that was still struggling, which is, you know, a lot of our country. What a project. Yeah, it was great. It was really, really good. And so it gave me this deep grounding in how are people's financial lives really working. And of course, there's some big gaps. And so out of that, I decided to start my current company, Canary, which, as you said, um, works with employers to um, facilitate emergency funds. So the problems are we don't yeah. have enough money. We're not interacting with it optimally, a little bit of everything. Yeah, it's, it is really, I mean, both of those. So, um, you know, even before, so right now we're all talking about inflation all the time in, in economic circles. Um, but even before this last, this current bout of significant inflation, the cost of living has gone up faster than real wages for several decades. So, and that, and what's really remarkable about how that plays out in the U.S. is that the cost of consumer goods has not gone up in the same way, right? So you have plenty of people who can afford a flat screen TV, but can't afford to buy a house. And that's not because they're spending poorly or making bad choices. It's because the cost of housing has gone up really fast and the cost of education has gone up and the cost of medical care has gone up. All those things have gone up faster and more significantly than the cost of your basic consumer lifestyle. And so we have a dynamic in our country where it looks like people are living large, but they can't afford the things that are most important to them. Um, the other thing that, that is going on that was really hidden that we looked at a lot of our research was how volatile people's financial lives are. So in like traditional economic models, and, and obviously this comes up a lot in how we advise people in their financial lives, we picture life as a life cycle, right? So you, what you picture is 
start out going to school, you gain education, skills, um, the things you'll need for life later. Then you get your first job. And over time, you get promoted, you earn more and more and more. And over that period of time, you're supposed to save more and more and more, buy a house, save retirement. Then you retire and you earn less. And so we picture this like really pleasant, nice arc. But the reality is that a lot of people don't live on that arc. What they live on is more like this sort of scraggly, bumpy up and down where um, in an average year, this is pre-pandemic research. So in an average year, in the early part of the century, um, the first 15 years of it, if people like 25% of the country had a big income swing from this year to to last year. And by big, I mean like more than 25%. So people go up and down much more than we thought. And they go up and down much more than we thought within a year. So that's a lot about what our research was about that we saw like plenty of people work hourly or they work, um, a steady job, but get paid in a volume-based way, or they have a steady job, but they also have a part-time job that's more precarious. And so people's earnings really swings wildly, wildly from like one month to the next. And so the kind of planning advice you give when you live on the life cycle arc, which, you know, to be honest, I live on, like lots of people that do live on, that's a real economic model. If that's how your life is working, the most important financial advice is um, spend less today to save for tomorrow. Slow and steady. Doesn't matter. Like just slow and steady, save a little bit all the time. If you don't live on the life cycle arc and you live more on this like scraggly up and down spike and dip kind of model, well, then what really matters is um, are you saving for next week and spending when you get to next week and then saving again next week? the week after that and spending again after that, like it's much less about the long term and much more about the near term. And not all of our financial advice has caught up to that. And certainly not all of our financial policies, right? So we subsidize saving for retirement by giving you a tax break. We subsidize buying a house by giving you a tax break. We don't do anything for emergency savings as a society. You know, or and, and the work my company does that's related to that is that employers often provide benefits that help you save for retirement or that help you deal with large medical events, but they don't always do things to help you with, hey, next week, I'm not going to be able to make rent. And so the emergency funds we manage are really about that. They're about, we as a company are going to set aside money. And if we have an employee who you know, lives in the path of a hurricane, has a house fire, um, has something catastrophic happen in their life, which means they're not going to be able to be okay without help. We will just help them. We will just give them more money. If you think of it as like a um, non-taxable hardship-based bonus. Um, and we think that's a really important thing for companies to start engaging in because we all have to embrace that the, the way we're going to manage this volatility that people live through is by helping each other. I love it. Fascinating to yeah. think about that 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 traditional arc, but just on a weekly basis. So, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, exactly, or monthly, or like right, yeah, right. And I'm sure, yeah, this is um, I don't know issues that are core to how you think about the world. Like, it's not that retirement savings isn't important; it's super important. It's just that if you live in that craggy way, you're going to routinely 
eat away at your for at your 401k by taking out a loan or withdrawing early because something actually really urgent has happened like this week. Yeah. Yeah. It's this ultimate theory versus practice kind of a thing. It all looks good on paper, but here I am living my life in the real world and I have needs that are constantly coming up and my income fluctuates to your point. So in the solution to that for, for employers, we can go ahead and not address it and then watch our employees, probably many of them struggle when needs come up as they do, or we can proactively say, okay, this is a problem. How can we address this? And this is the space that, 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 that you are, that you are meeting the need. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What we hear from employers is thing are things like, um, you know, when I have an employee who's struggling, like and this, this is the case for anybody who's ever managed people. If you've managed people, then you've had somebody who has a crisis. And when they have a crisis, they um, don't show up or they're late or they show up, but they're highly distracted. And um, in a lot of jobs, that just doesn't work, right? We're a service economy. And so most people have to show up to their work and like really be present. And, um, and so what we hear from employers is, look, I had this really great employee and then she hit this bump in the road in her own life, lost her car. Now she's taking Uber to get to work, which is too expensive. So I know that's not going to work for her, right? I know what she makes. That's not going to work. In the meantime, her productivity has dropped. So my whole team's pissed, right? Um, and it would be so much better if I could just help her get a new car versus it's going to cost me a lot of time and money to replace her. And I'm going to feel really bad about it. Um, and what employers say is like, so sometimes when that happens, an employee will come to them and ask for help. Um, or they'll know that, that an employee has a GoFundMe, right? And how do you interact with that as an employer? Like it's, it's so, you don't want to say no. You don't want to ignore the GoFundMe. You also can't necessarily say yes. You know that um, there's a really big danger of unequal treatment across your workforce if you say yes, because somebody's probably struggling and not saying so. Mm -hmm. Somebody's probably struggling and you, it just hasn't made it to your awareness. Um, so it's a really tough thing for an employer. You want to be kind and helpful. You can't take on responsibility for the totality of your employee's financial life. So where do you draw the line, right? Um, and so that's why working with a third party makes sense. But the, these are hard questions for employers to figure out. The reality is that um, a lot of businesses um, have thin enough margins that it's not, it's not as easy as it sounds to just say, well, we'll just raise wages. You know, that, that might be true in some industries, but you're talking about your average, you know, 100-person company, 200-person company. Like some of our clients are folks like home health care companies. They can't just really, they can't just raise rates on their clients necessarily. Um, uh, or, you know, and, and none of us want prices to go up. So like the idea that, well, we'll just raise wages. Well, then we are going to see prices go up. So it's tricky. I wish I could say I understood macroeconomics better, but I don't. Mostly, I, I know that the job that we all have is to try and show up for each other and employers, employee communities are really important ones for us to show up for each other financially. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a huge opportunity 
and mm-hmm. that community aspect that every company theoretically has and does one way or another to do good. And and that's yeah. really, really across the board in, 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 in every, every aspect of life and wellness. And certainly when it comes to financial emergencies, um, there's a big opportunity. So why not do that? And then the role of a third party makes a ton of sense for the reasons that you just laid out. So I think that there's most certainly a business case for this and and and, and a very human case for it. So how does it actually work? So what we do is we partner with employers. So what this is also just not well understood, but um, there are some IRS rules that mean that if you as a company have an employee who um, is experiencing a hardship. So first of all, if, if if employees are affected by natural disaster, you can simply give people extra pay and it's not taxable income, hmm. uh, which is really not um, widely understood. You also can work with a charitable organization and donate money to a charity. And then that charity can donate money to your employees. And so essentially that's what Canary is doing. We have... Um, a a nonprofit that we work with who, and so the funds flow of what we're doing is that the companies that we work with donate money to that nonprofit called Canary Impact Lab. And so Canary Impact Lab takes in charitable donations. And so a company can both contribute themselves out of their P&L or they can do fundraising drives amongst their employees. And we see companies doing some of both. Um, And then that nonprofit um, essentially sets up eligibility criteria. And if people experience a hardship, they can come and request funds. And my company, Canary, I, I established both the nonprofit and the for-profit. The for-profit essentially works to facilitate all of that and make it possible. So you could think of us like a 401k administrator, right? We make sure all the rules are met. We have an application process people go through to demonstrate that they are in fact experiencing an eligible hardship we do all the customer service back and forth to make sure that we have the appropriate documentation for the IRS. We um, make sure that the payment goes through and we um, provide a lot of data back to the employer at an aggregate level, anonymized, so that they understand what kinds of crises their employees are experiencing. And so um, you could think of this, like I really think that this, model of providing emergency help for employees is going to be as ubiquitous as a 401k. But in order for it to be that, you need third-party administrators just like you have in the 401k world mm-hmm. um, because there are rules that you have to be following. And the other reason to have a third party is that it really protects the anonymity and the dignity of the person applying and takes this kind of hairy, who do I say yes to, who do I say no to job off of the HR leader or off of the CEO, or off of whoever would be playing that role. So um, there's really benefits for both sides to outsource this to a third party. But And so you know, the basic activity that we're doing as a company is working with companies to determine like how much money should you set aside? What kinds of crises are you supporting your employees when they experience? Um, and then working with employees when they experience a crisis to make sure that they um, can apply effectively and receive their funds. What has the response been? What's the pushback um, been? I'm curious on both. Yeah, it's really interesting. Both of those are good questions. So what's one thing that's interesting to know about this is that large companies have this in place already. 
Walmart, Home Depot, Starbucks, Wells Fargo, I could go on and on. Like, like many of the brand names you know have a program like this in place because they've been they've known about the tax rules that enable this for 20 years, and it's become an increasing norm among Fortune 100 companies. So the reason we launched is that it's just much less known under among smaller companies and much harder to implement because you don't have the resources to put against it, right? Home Depot has been doing this um, some of the longest of some companies, and they have a, a lovely team of you know ten people who manage this. But if you're a thousand person company, that's much harder. So, so the pushback that we get is is um, well, first of all, people just don't know this is a thing. The second thing people say is, well, why don't you just pay people more? Um, to which our answer is, yeah, that's a, that is part of the answer always. Like we would have higher financial security for lots of people if they earned more money. And even when people earn a living wage, they still are going to have crises, things that show up. And and so the the basic need to help each other doesn't go away. It just lessens. And we think... Um, that's a great idea. Raise your wages, improve your benefits, use the emergency fund as a last resort. You still want it because people need a last resort. Um, so that's one of the objections. People worry that it'll cost too much to do, right? So employers think, well, that sounds like a good idea, but what if it's what if every person in my company comes and asks for help, right? <clears throat> what if thirty percent of people in my company come right. and ask for help? Right. Like that's terrifying. Sure. <laughs> like just from a budget perspective, it's scary. Also, like it would be disconcerting to say the least. Right. So we reassure people what we see. We just don't see that happen. What you see is that when you say to people, there's an emergency fund available, um, people are very slow to raise their hand. Mm-hmm. Um, we see usage in the low single digits, you know, 3% of a company, 1% of a company. If you promote it really widely and like really strongly encourage people to use it, you'll start seeing usage um, in higher than that. But people really pride themselves on being able to take care of their own life. And so we really don't, so people worry that too many people will apply or they worry that there will be fraud. Um, our systems are set up in order to be able to see it if there was fraud, but you just don't see it at material levels. Like we'll catch it if somebody's lying to us, but um, but people get the idea that this is a shared pool, and that if I take the money, somebody else can't get it. I actually worked on a program once related to the where we were, you know, in the in the run up to starting Canary, I was working on a program where we gave out funds during the pandemic, and um, we actually had somebody give the funds back because they they were experiencing an emergency. And then they got access to other resources. Like they found other help somewhere else. And now they felt like they weren't the most needy. They actually signed a check back. Like people, nice. people are better than we give them credit for. <laughs> I, I, I definitely agree with that. Does it vary from company to company? Um, how, how much you fund the pool with? And then do you put a cap on what the amount to be distributed is? Yeah. So a key... Um, there are a few things that get customized company by company. One is what is the total, what is the maximum grant size that's available to any one person? The other is how often can people apply? So sometimes people set a lifetime limit. Sometimes people say um, you can apply once every three years, right? Something like that. Um, 
companies also sometimes set eligibility rules around like this is this is for employees who've worked here six months or longer or um, employees who earn under a certain amount or, or less. Um, although we really encourage people to think broadly, like just make everybody eligible because people don't apply unless they need the money. Like you don't, your CEO is not going to apply. Like your CFO is not going to apply. Um, it's going to be your um, entry level, service level workers who are going to apply, um, or people who've just experienced something catastrophic. Um, but we work with, um, but employers can. It is important to think about what is your maximum grant because that's our best lever to make sure that um, usage comports well with the budget of the company. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I love it. Well, Rachel, yeah. thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn yeah. more about you and for companies that are interested, how do they engage with Canary? Yeah, so our website is www.workwithcanary. I'm super easy to find because my email is rachel at workwithcanary.com. Um, and I'm on LinkedIn. And uh, that's really the, the best place to reach us is really by email so or our website. But I would love to be in touch with folks who are interested in doing this, it, just under, or, and also people who are just interested and curious about the idea. Like we're seeing lots and more, lots and lots of cash interest in sort of this emergency relief, mutual aid. Um, so I, I like being part of this community. So if people want to talk about the general idea, reach out. And if you think this could be useful for your company, of course, reach out. Love it. Yeah. Well, if you enjoyed this much as I did, show Rachel your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to workwithcanary.com. That's work with C-A-N-A-R-Y.com, just in case you haven't spelled canary in a while, which was certainly me. And figure out if this is a good fit for your organization or if you're an employee at a company, uh, pass it along to the leadership and figure out um, if you can bring this really, really important and valuable benefit to help everybody when needs arise, which they certainly do. Thanks again, Rachel. Thank you so much, George. And until next time, remember, do your part by doing your best.